Hi there, this is How to Chew, the show that helps you make better decisions and improves your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And this is part two of a mini-series of three episodes in in which we chat with Australian neuroscientist Dr. Mark Williams. Now, Dr. Mark is a scientist, but he's also an educator, and he shares some really incredible insights with us about the brain and decision-making. And I definitely recommend that you listen to the previous episode if you haven't already. Uh, There's a lot of good content in there. In this second part, we discuss when you actually do need to slow down your thinking and make deliberate decisions rather than going into autopilot. He highlights the importance of pausing rather than just being busy all the time, um, as it's not effective at getting stuff done, even though it feels like it might be. And also related to pausing is this idea of actually pausing and listening to people. You know, so often we're just waiting to say our piece when we talk to someone. And Ken and I, you know, I know we're both victims of this. You get so excited about what you want to share that you don't actually stop to listen to what the other person is saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely true. I have to really concentrate on this one. And I do. I really make an effort when people are talking to just slow my brain down and focus. But it it takes discipline, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. And as you do say later in this uh, interview, and I think it's a quotable quote again, we need to learn to speak in paragraphs rather than essays when we're talking to one another. He goes into a really fascinating topic of mirror neurons and how emotions are actually contagious. He looks into what makes things go viral and then finally has some really great tips for how to get things done. Awesome. Let's go. We've talked a lot about Daniel Kahneman's work and, you know, thinking fast and slow is such a key part of decision-making. And the fact that knowing the fallibilities of your brain is not just enough. You know, even, even Kahneman himself has said, just because I'm an expert on this doesn't mean I don't fall victim to all of these biases. So we just want to get a sense from you of, you know, we know we have to be deliberate to avoid falling into these sort of shortcuts. Do you have any advice for our listeners on what issues might actually be best to take the time to move into that slow brain thinking. We don't need to process drinking that cup of tea in the morning. We don't have to put any energy into that. But what are those kind of things where we actually should pause to allow our brain to get into that slow thinking? I think anything that you think is going to impact on other people, you should stop and you should consider it before you actually do it. I think so, yeah, if it's actually going to have, which a lot of what we do actually does impact other people and we don't actually think about it, but I think we should stop and actually think about it then. I think one of the biggest issues in society at the moment is that we're, we're all too busy and we're not actually getting anything done. And I think we all need to actually slow down a bit and actually get stuff done rather than be busy all the time because being busy doesn't result in, in good productive work because we're not slowing down and we're not actually making real decisions. We're just doing stuff um, and reacting to what's actually out there. So I think I think it'd be good for us to actually all to slow down no matter what we're actually doing. So we actually have to think about it before we do it. But I think especially things that are going to impact other people are things that you should actually consider before you actually do them. And when you're actually talking to someone to actually listen, and I do quite a lot of work with organisations. And one of the things I talk to organisations about is if there's no pause in between you talking and the next person talking, that means that they weren't actually listening to you. And a lot of people will do that. They'll actually 
look at someone, but they'll be considering the next thing they're going to say rather than what the person is actually saying to them. And we need pauses. We need gaps in between talking. And a lot of people don't allow that to happen, especially in meetings where you've got a group of people. All of a sudden, someone else will jump in and start talking. And the group doesn't actually have a chance to think about what the previous person might have said. And it might have been really, really worthwhile. But it also doesn't show any respect for that person as well, right? You've got to actually pause and allow that information to to come into your brain and you to process it because that takes time. And again, our working memory is really limited, so we've got to get it in there and it's got to take time to, for us to understand it. So pausing when we're with other people and pausing when we're in conversations so that we can all actually understand what we're all trying to say to each other, I think is a really important time when we need to stop and make decisions properly make decisions yeah but but i think most of the time we need to slow down i think we're too busy <laughs> way too busy it made me think um dr mark as well it's something that that struck me a while ago that you particularly when you're managing or mentoring people some people will just blurt out whatever is in their mind and there is no pausing and they speak more in essays than uh where they'll they'll share a point and you think well okay i've got something I might say to that, and then they've moved on to another point. And I, I think there's value in maybe speaking in paragraphs rather than speaking in in essays, that you have a single point, you kind of talk through it, and then you pause and allow someone else to absorb and respond to a point. But anyway, I don't know if that's helpful. But I think it's, again, kind of constraining how much we're packing into our conversations and and thinking about it being a two-way call and response rather than a lecture. Yeah, I like I like that idea. I hadn't thought about it like that before. But I, I know what you mean. There are a lot of people out there that just want to talk. I mean, I do it a lot if I'm on things like this, but I'm expected to, to do that and <laughs> blurt out everything I know in relation to a, to a topic. But, yeah, when you're actually trying to collaborate, when you're actually in a group, I mean, you're trying to collaborate with individuals, I think that's a great idea to actually just focus on one small topic at a time. And there are a lot of those people out there now that, that just want to blurt out everything all the information they've got to show how intelligent they are and how they know this, everything that we're talking about or whatever it is, or get it out before someone else does so they can show it was their idea rather than someone else's idea, which, again, we've got to think about it as a collaboration between everyone in the group rather than let's all try and beat each other um, in that environment. We've got to all show that we're smart, um, which we don't, right? We've got to collaborate so that we can move whatever it is forward. I guess that's an interesting point that um, it does make me think about collaborative decision making as well, which, you know, we, we're a very individualistic society. So, and even it's, there's a danger in, in what we share in the podcast, I think, Tess, to kind of focus very much on you as individuals need to go away and think through and make your decision. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, we've evolved as a social species. There's value presumably for us and in the way our brain uh, functions to be getting input from different sources and then considering. Maybe building on that, though, how much do you think our brain has evolved to want to conform to what other uh, others around us are doing as a bit of a survival mechanism? Is that something that neuroscience has got any insights into? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we're going to talk about it later, but I have a whole book that's about to come out, which is all on um, how our 
brains have actually evolved for us to socialize um, and to connect and that it's all about actually interacting with people and mimicking other people so actually re relating to people and then for mimicking people and so we have what we it was discovered back in 2001 that we have these mirror neurons in our brain that actually mirror what the other person is doing so uh, the, the original studies were done with monkeys and basically when the monkey saw another monkey reach out to pick up a peanut the same area in their brain which would activate the muscles to make them reach out and pick up a peanut were activated in them as well and that meant that they then understood what the monkey was actually doing by the fact that their muscles also uh, below threshold activated to do the same thing and we now know that our brains as humans have a huge a large area of their brain dedicated to this where we're constantly mimicking we're constantly mirroring what the other person is doing and we do that with basically everything and we think this is actually how we learned how to how to talk was mimicking because babies will view or watch somebody lips move as they're actually talking and that teaches them how to actually talk and how to and when you're doing therapy with someone who's had a stroke and can no longer talk again you'll get them to actually watch your lips as you talk and you exaggerate it so that they get the mirror neuron system active so then they can actually learn how to speak again but again facial expressions are exactly the same so with facial expressions i know that you're happy because you smile and that activates the mirror neuron system in our, my brain to make me smile and my muscles activate sub-level so that I get the feeling of being happy so that I know that that's how you're actually feeling is being happy, which is why emotions are contagious. You know, if you're hanging out with someone who's grumpy all the time, you feel pretty crap afterwards, right? Because of the fact that you're actually activating the same areas to make you grumpy so that you know how they're feeling. So you end up feeling like that as well. Or if they're happy, the same thing happens, right? So um, your happiness is contagious and we should we should consider that. But also in everything we do. So if you look at a group of, uh, say, teenagers all hanging out at a park or something, they'll all be mimicking each other as to how they're sitting and doing all those things. And we, again, we do that, A, because the mirror neuron system activates the muscles associated with the person we're looking at. And so therefore, we're more likely to get into that same position. But also it shows connection between us that we actually like each other because we're mimicking each other, because we do the same things. Because, And that's why groups and, and, and each generation and each group within that generation have all their own things that they do and the way they sit and the way they hang out and the clothes up and all those things so that they associate with each other and they group within each other, which of course means then that the decisions they make are all based on what the decisions have been made by all the ones around them because their emotions are the same, their behaviours are the same, what they experience is the same, and all their memory systems are very similar, and so therefore they're going to make similar decisions, which is why you get these things going viral on TikTok and stuff, because all of a sudden they're all doing, you know, and you're like, why the hell are they doing that? <laughs> but to them it's completely normal because it's it's within their decision-making process is saying, yeah, this is normal within my group, but it's not normal within your group. Did that, did that, did that answer your question? <laughs> that did. It's, it prompted a whole lot of other questions that I probably don't have time to ask you in this episode, but it, that's yeah. absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really, really cool. I mean, it's a, it was an amazing discovery that we made, and it's it's spurned you know our understanding of 
how we understand facial expressions, how we relate to each other, why we have the body language and how we understand body language, how we learn how to speak and how we actually, you know, language then evolve from there and so on. I mean, it's, it's quite an amazing system within us and, and all other animals that allows us to actually communicate like that. And that's how wolves do it, you know, when they're in packs and they're running around and they're understanding what each other is saying through that same system. Wow. Yeah, there's so much in there. And like through my head now is uh, all these experiments that I've read about, like the one where you get people to put a pencil in their mouth and that actually influences them because they don't realise, but what you're getting them to do is to form a smile. Mm -hmm. Uh, It will actually impact then, you know, things that you ask them to do that because they will be in a a more happy mindset just by the physical muscles being used. Uh, And also just, you know, to build rapport with people, they say that you should actively mirror because, again, we will do it naturally. But if you're deliberately mirroring someone, then it actually can make them feel more comfortable again, because we're tapping into the sort of subconscious level where we, you know, mirroring is is about kind of building those good relationships. One other reflection, I have a, a nearly two-year-old. She will often do things, which I haven't even realized that she's been obviously in her, her brain is processing and she'll come out and do something. And I'm like, where did that come from? But she's probably observed slash now I realize probably you know, the muscles and the, the brain is being stimulated every time she watches us do things. Going back to your point, you were talking about how busy we are, but perhaps not not productive. And I think a big part of that is procrastination and, you know, the, the omnipresent uh, distraction of our phones. And I was just wondering if you have any brain hacks is perhaps some way to describe it, to kind of break this bad habit where we're constantly busy or distracted, but not really doing anything. You know, we're scrolling, we're, you know, kind of passively distracting ourselves but we're not actually deliberately doing things is there a way to kind of change the way that our brain is approaching tasks and things like that yeah there's a great system called pomodoro technique i don't know if you've come across it before but pomodoro is um uh, tomato in italian and it was originally studied by a group of italian researchers who use these tomato timers which they use in the kitchen and basically just set that timer whatever timer you can get apps and all the rest of it for it. But you set the timer for 25 minutes and you just focus on one task for that 25 minutes and you turn everything else off. But you've got to turn everything else off so you're not distracted by anything. And so you really do focus on that one thing and you make sure that you can see the time ticking down so that because a lot of us can't concentrate anymore for 25 minutes. So we actually have to work that area and actually exercise it. But yeah, so you can see it. So you get down, if you start getting distracted, you can look at it and go, I've only got 10 minutes left. I can concentrate for another 10 minutes. You do the 25 minutes and then you stand up and you just move around. You don't don't check your email or anything like that. You stand up and move around. And then you go back and you do another 25 minutes and you do that four times. And that's two hours of concentration. And then you have a longer break where you could do other things, such as check your email and so on and so that way you are just you get stuff done and I get more done I make sure I do a two-hour session every day and when I do that I get more done in that two hours than I usually get done in the rest of the day um, because I'm so distracted by other things and phone calls and stuff but you've got to turn everything off and you've got to get rid of it the other thing of course is the number one distraction for all of us is notifications on our phones is the beeps and the buzzers and all those things that we get on our phone so if you turn all those off I tell everybody who I'm close to, that if they want to contact me, they have to ring me. And I use my phone as a phone. And so they have to ring me if they if it's urgent. If it's not urgent, they can text me or whatever. But I check my texts during my break, during the after two hours. So I only check my texts every two hours and I only check my email three times a day. And it's been shown that if you do it that way and you only check your email for three or four times a day and you only check your texts 
at a certain time, your mental health actually improves. You're less likely to be stressed. You're less likely to be depressed. You're less likely to have anxiety around fear of missing out and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, turning off or you, you can do it. You can turn off all the notifications, turning off all the notifications on your phone. Just use it as a phone and then check it regularly when you want to. You put it into your diary when you're going to check it, whatever you happen to need to check on a semi-regular basis is is really good for your mental health and really good for productivity. So those are two quick, easy easy tips. <laughs> Both really good advice. I mean, I found in my current role, it's, it's quite different to a job I've had in the past. So before I wasn't actually allowed my phone in the office. Right. And it's amazing how productive you are when, you know, your your distraction is email, which is still still there. But currently with having my phone at my desk, you know, it takes a lot of mental effort you know, I almost have to put it away. I have to put it in my bag out of reach because it's almost like a zombie hand. You turn around all of a sudden, you're like, how did I get, I didn't deliberately pick this up and go and look at this. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like drinking the tea. It's a subconscious you know, habit that you've formed there. So I really like the Pomodoro technique. And I think that's yeah. what I'm going to try. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. And there's lots of stuff online around it that you can read and so on. The other thing, you've you got to realise that the algorithms that they use to actually keep our attention on the phone. So, I mean, they're very sophisticated and they sh- I don't think they should be legal. I don't think they should be allowed to do it, but they are allowed to do it. And those things keep us addicted. So, and every time, and we were talking before about our working memory and that we only have these seven slots. What we've, you've also got to remember is that you, it's your attention that actually decides what's in your working memory. And if you attend to something else, then you lose everything in your working memory. So every time you switch task because we can't multitask multitasking our brains are incapable of multitasking what you do is you constantly task switch and when you task switch you lose everything from your working memory that you're just working on and you lose the last 90 seconds of whatever you were doing so every time you go from one task to another you lose 90 seconds and it takes you about two minutes to get back on task so every time you your phone dings 100% 100% of your attention goes to your phone. Mine's turned off, by the way. 100% of your your attention goes to your phone and you lose the last 90 seconds of what you were doing. Just if it buzzes or dings or something, not if you answer it, just if it actually reacts, yeah? If it does anything, you lose 90 seconds. If you then look at it, of course, you lose much longer um, associated with actually going to it. So, yeah, every time your little icon jumps up and down that you've got another email, you'll lose the last 90 seconds of what you were doing. Every time one of your social media things jump up and down, you lose 90 seconds of whatever you were doing. Every time your phone makes a buzz or a beep or, you know, comes on, you'll lose 90 seconds. And you imagine how many time, how much time we lose every day when it's 90 seconds each time. And that's if you're really, really, really organised and don't look at it. So those of us who are actually then uh, responding to those things, they're losing even far more, which is why we're all busy, right? Because we're all doing that and we're not actually getting stuff done. It's amazing we get any work done at all, really. <laughs> it is. And it's amazing. Well, a lot of people don't. I mean, a lot of it's amazing. Now. You go to some organisations and it's you actually look at what they're actually doing and they're only working a couple of days, a couple of hours, and the rest of the time they're dealing with all of this extra nonsense which is just a waste yeah that's fascinating it it really uh, and i think about it i've got uh slightly older kids who are 
trying to work their way through high school. And I do think about that quite a lot, that issue of efficiency. You know, it's all very well saying, well, I've been working, I've spent all this time, but, you know, how, what have you actually achieved during that time? So you've given us some really good tips there. I like that, that Pomodoro technique tip. I'm going to definitely look to apply that and encourage my kids to use that too. It is great. I work with schools as well, and I work with a lot of um, school psychologists, and we work with it with um, kids with ADHD. Um, and so we, we can get kids from, you know, only being able to sit in class for one or two minutes at a time up to being able to sit in class and actually concentrate for up to 20 minutes by just starting at a really short period of time and then slowly increasing it. So with your kids, they're going to struggle with the 25 minutes. So what you want to do is you want to start it at a shorter period and that they can do and they can cope with fine. And then you just slowly increase it over time. And before you know it, they'll be up to the 25 minutes and they'll be able to do that really easily. But you've got to, you've got to start where they can do it and then slowly build it up. Well, I've got a, a number of family and, uh, and friends who work in education. My son's uh, an LSA. Uh, my wife works in in the education department, and I know a number of listeners that we have uh, teachers. We're both former teachers as well, so I think it might be uh, we we'll certainly have a link in our show notes to uh, your website because I know you you are as you said you work with schools, you work with students, and I think there's it'd probably be very useful for people to tap into some of that work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's fascinating what's happening in schools at the moment. I don't think it's. I don't think. I think there's some good stuff and there's a lot of really bad stuff um, that we need to, you know, stop and actually start looking at actually getting kids productive. I mean, the, one of the reasons I started working in schools is because at university level, I used to teach first year neuroscience and I used to have a thousand students in that course. And we every year we've had to make the courses simpler because of the standard of students that we receive at university level has been dropping over the last 10 years. And that's universal across all of Australia, US, Canada, UK and so on. And so, you know, we need to work out what's going wrong there. Um, and actually start dealing with it because I think it's it's not fair on the students because, like you said, they're doing a lot of stuff, but they're not actually ending up in a place that means that they've got the, the knowledge that they need to actually go on and do advanced degrees. Gosh, Ken, I have so many key takeaways from this. It was such a fascinating conversation. For me, those incredible points about mirror neurons and how essential they are, as you know, I've got a nearly two-year-old, sort of really understanding that her watching me speak and using those muscles subconsciously is learning, is that how she learns to speak. It's just going to change the way that I interact with her, I think, but also with with other people as well. Also love the tip about removing notifications and just using your phone as a phone. It's good for your mental health and good for your productivity. And I found it really curious that the ding is actually enough to trigger the task switch. And even if you don't check it, but just hearing the ding. And what I often do is I'll put my phone sort of face down so I'm not seeing those notifications. But you do still feel the vibration or you might, you know, might hear the ding. So it's good to know that I've actually got to either turn it off or get it out of the room. Otherwise, you'll just end up being so distracted. What are your key takeaways, Ken? Well, I really loved his opening point that he said, we need to stop being busy and start getting things done, which is quite a profound thought, isn't it? That we can be really busy, but not be productive. So I I like that. And again, his points about how we can build that ability to concentrate on a task, either doing it ourselves or helping our kids or in a school or a work setting. He mentions the Pomodoro technique, the, the tomato 
uh, which is a winner. And I've actually been using this over the last week or two while working on an assignment. So that idea of, you know, setting yourself a timer for 25 minutes and then really focusing super hard for that time, taking a short break and then coming back to it. And then you can you, know, you can build up to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But I found it really helpful. I mean, I haven't finished my assignment yet. I think that's less to do with the Pomodoro technique and more with the limitations of my brain. But it's it certainly has helped me to focus better. One thing, too, that really shocked me was his statement that every year he had to make his first-year neuroscience subject simpler and simpler because the standard of students was declining. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah, it's so shocking. I mean, it's been well over a decade since I was teaching uh, and phones were present, but they weren't omnipresent. And even then they were challenging, but I just can't even imagine what it would be like trying to be, you know, whether it's in a high school classroom or a university with that distraction device in everyone's hand while you're trying to teach. It would just be so tricky. And I guess it's only time that's going to tell, you know, the effect of our uh, obsession with technology and our, you know, I think our lack of discipline and concentration, what what effect that has on the human brain. But anyway, I, I also really strongly agreed with his point that we need to give up on the illusion of multitasking. You know, our brains can't actually multitask. And lots of meaningful tasks really require us to focus deeply without interruption. So I know that was definitely true when drafting my book. It's going to be true when I go through and revise the text in coming months. You can't just dip in and out of complex tasks. You have to devote focused mental effort. Well, look, if you're enjoying this series, please make sure to subscribe to How to Choose. And there's even a mechanism now to support the show if you enjoy what you're hearing. So if you want to know more about that, visit the podcast tab on our website at goodbetterright.com.au. And we've got one more Dr. Mark episode to come, and it's just as fascinating. So please check out part three. Yeah, it really is. You're going to love it. And look, tell your friends about us too. We'd love to meet them. Sharing what we're learning is an awesome way to reinforce those lessons.